Hello everyone and welcome to Nisa Today FC. I'm Josh Taylor and for our episode today we're going to talk about unfortunately the refs. We gotta talk about two Nisa teams joining forces and we still don't have a league schedule yet. I know what a bummer. So we'll talk about all that also the latest league news including some Maryland Bobcat players leaving to go to new places. And of course, my final thoughts. So stay tuned guys, we got an exciting show coming up right now. Hello guys and welcome back to the show. Man, it's been a crazy week in Nisa since our last episode. And man, have you seen some people's tweets and messages on Facebook and Instagram? It's like everyone's gone mad, man. Like, see Nisa, what happens when we don't get a schedule? Everybody's losing their minds right now. So it's been crazy seeing the good and the bad and the ugly. Uh, what's going on with Nisa and, you know, People calling out the league, you know, and, and, and rightfully so when they have issues. I mean, but like I said, guys, you know, Nisa's been doing, going through the ups and downs for how many years now? Since it started 2019, this is going to be its fifth season, hopefully, kicking the ball. And I don't know, it, with Nisa, sometimes it's weird because you, you feel like it's like a league of nine lives. Like, you just can't die, you know? Like, it's good. Just somehow keep going, and it's uh, it's it's been a crazy week with Nisa and everything that's going on. And like I said in my intro, we got issues with the refs that we gotta talk about. I'll get to that in a minute. And we got two Nisa teams joining forces. I'm a little bit confused, even though that was announced 24 hours ago. I was recording on a Wednesday night, and we. Still don't have a league schedule. So, there you go. But let's get into the bad news from Nisa this past week. And that was last week. Literally the day after I posted my episode, right? Last Wednesday, my last episode. The next day on Thursday, last week, we get a message on social media from the Professional Soccer Referees Association. And they're basically calling out the National Independent Soccer Association for payments owed to the referees from previous matches last year. So I'll read you their statement and we'll get into the lead response and then I'll just share my thoughts. So here, in case you haven't seen it, here is the statement officially from the PSRA, Professional Soccer Referees Association. The PSRA is calling for the National Independent Soccer Association to immediately pay all match officials in full for past game fees earned and travel expenses incurred while working in these matches. We are also alerting officials nationwide to the ongoing and recurring instances of non-payment and cautioning them against working these type of matches for fear of non-payment. The PSRA views this as an issue that is worsening. While conversations have occurred for many months, NISA has stopped responding to recent requests to resolve the issues. We know of dozens of officials who are owed more than $10,000 collectively, 
and we continue to learn more each day. Match officials simply should not be forced into subsidizing the solvency of any league. While officials generally determine their own availability for a league's matches, we find it necessary to bring these payment issues to light so that officials, as well as fans and stakeholders across the country, are aware of the working conditions for NISA matches. We urge NISA to immediately reconcile each of the past amounts they owe officials, and we also call for USSF to strengthen the league sanctioning provisions that can help avoid situations like this in the future. So that was a statement from the PSRA last week. And, you know, I'm just going right off the record here and to say, look, this is not good, Nisa. This, this ain't good. Uh, I did see on, on Twitter last week that Michael Batista, he, he, he posted a tweet last week about, hey, guys, remember when I, I uh, interviewed the commissioner or not, you know, asked a question about the refs at the presser for the final back in November when the Michigan Stars were taking on Albion San Diego? And uh, it was posted about on the, on the protagonist soccer website. But he had asked the commissioner, John Pritch, about being the refs. And at the time, the commissioner said, yeah, all the refs are taken care of. But here are two months later, we're getting this statement from the PSRA. And, you know, that's kind of disputing that claim. And it's not good. It's not good. And I'm like, Misa, I mean, New Year, same problems? Is this what we got going on, guys? Like, we can't be having these same issues guys we got to get it together man with the refs and take care of your people i was expecting like oh we didn't hear any i, I guess i i guess i jinxed it last week i guess that was my bad <laughs> as part of my news resolutions but i said last week we didn't hear anything last year at all about any ref issues we just didn't and uh apparently now we're getting the case months later about this but i'm like nisa you, you gotta take care of the refs man the, the last thing you need right now is, I mean, I know they got a lot of issues. We'll get into that later. But right now, you got to hear the refs, guys. If you go in the, the first match of the season and the refs go on strike, you can't play games. You cannot play games and the refs can't don't show up. Can't have a game. And what's Nisa going to do? Are they going to replace them with, Refs from other leagues, other youth soccer leagues. I, mean, I don't know, man. Replacement refs? We saw that in the NFL and how that worked out. Uh, sorry, Green Bay Packers fans, but, you know, I'm just saying <laughs> we've seen that movie before and other sports leagues, and we definitely don't want that in soccer. Yeah. It's not a great look. And, you know, Nisa's just got to take care of it. And get this fixed. Now, the league did issue a response. <clears throat> I'll read this from the article. I'm citing this from Heath Hickson from the Pyramid Soccer News. Uh, he posted on, on Twitter, I think the day after, um, the league's response. And I'll just read a little bit here. But he mentions he's spoken, which I'm assuming this is Steve Johnson, the communication specialist. And he said here, while we can't go into any details, NISA feels the frustration of those referees affected by not getting paid on time, and the league is in communication with those individuals. Now, the problem is one related to payment processing and said the league plans to pay affected referees within a couple of weeks. Now, of course, after this was posted, the PSRA basically 
called out the league again and said, this is unacceptable. This is a joke. They need to fix this. And look, you know, that's what they said. And look, the bottom line is the league's got to get that fixed, guys. They, they got to get it fixed. And like I said, that's the response that was we got from Heath Hickson on the Pyramid Soccer News. He follows a lot of the lower division soccer stuff as well. And I know you guys like checking protagonist soccer, listening to my show or other people's shows, and following people that cover lower division soccer. So I would highly recommend you check out at Pyramid Soccer. Let's talk about the other news that broke yesterday. And that is the announcement that we've been hearing these rumors for a while and we weren't sure it was going to happen, but it finally became official yesterday that Flower City Union and Syracuse Pulse, they have announced, in the lead's words, a unique merger to join forces for the upcoming 2023 season. Now, we've been hearing from months. I know Knights and Nisa was saying the rumors on their end that this was probably going to happen, and now it's going to happen. And here's what we got from the league explaining that Flower Seating Union and Syracuse Pulse have agreed to a unique merger entering the 2023 season. The merged organization will have one centralized front office and will host matches in both the Rochester and Syracuse, New York markets. Matches played in Rochester will be under the Flower City Union banner, while the club will introduce the Salt City Union brand for matches played in the Syracuse community. This hybrid alliance with the Flower City Union brand, while paying homage to the origins of Syracuse, there is no current timetable for how long the arrangement will be in place. And this is a quote from the primary club owner, Jimmy Piola. Quote, our combined organizations will allow us to strengthen the Flower City Union business operations while extending our union brand into the Syracuse market. Continuing to grow in our respective communities is an important component to this merger. We're committed to growing our community, partnerships, fan, and supporter connections in each of our beautiful cities. End quote. And then they have a quote here from... New strategic partner, Jim Smith, talking about, quote, we are delighted to merge with Flower City Union organization. This unique partnership allows our organization to continue to play in the Syracuse market. Once the 2023 schedule is announced, Flower City Union will announce home venue and number of matches to be played in the Rochester and Syracuse communities. So that was the press release that I'm sure most of you guys have seen already. From what I've seen on social media, I can't talk today. What's going on? Uh, clearly, the Salt City supporters are not happy about this. Um, that's the supporters group for Syracuse Pulse. And, you know, I totally get it from their perspective. But I also understand, like, what, what was the other alternative? Them just not playing? They, then they have no soccer. Now, I get it. You don't want to watch your rivals in this case, Flower City Union, playing your city. And I understand they're accommodating my having two brands and partnerships. Even I'm still a little bit confused about that, Salt City Union. But that's what they're going to do to kind of 
has soccer in Syracuse. Now, they did say in the press release that as of right now, this is for the 2023 season. We don't know if this is going to extend past that. And for Flower City Union's perspective, look, they got the branding and this and that, and it expands their brand into Central New York in Syracuse. And they also keep their presence up in Rochester as well. And, you know, it's 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 going to be interesting. I, I, I don't think we've seen anything like this in soccer in a while. I mean, you hear about youth clubs and stuff merging, but they normally form one identity, not two. And I was kind of curious where they got the idea from. Now, I saw Mark Washoe's tweet last night. He referenced about, you know, the former NBA team, the Washington Bullets. There was a season where they had a split season. They did games in Washington, D.C., but also played some games in Baltimore. And they had two different identities, Baltimore Bullets and then the Washington Bullets, but under the same branding. So I find that, I guess it's where they probably might have got the idea from, but I, it's just something we don't see that often. So that's why I was a bit confused because I'm like, you know, How's this going to work with the Open Cup? So we're still going to be Flower City Union? Are they going to have the merge teams play together in the, in the Cup? I don't know how that's going to work. Um, other questions I had was, where will they, they play the team? The, where will the team play their games if they make the playoffs? You know, are they going to play in Syracuse? Or are they going to play in Rochester? But I also understand from Flower City Union's perspective that since they have to compete with another team, in their market, Rochester, New York FC, which is the MLS Next Pro team, that also <clears throat> might make sense. Now, let me read a tweet that the Niger Sinisa posted. They post a tweet, a statement from the VP of Business Operations for Flower City Union, Andrew Hoyt. And I'll just read what they tweeted here. Um, he says here, quote, it's good for both of the clubs and it keeps pro soccer in both markets. That was an important part for both ownership groups. It also is good for the league as it strengthens a club that definitely has a huge upside. We saw good growth at the end of the last season when it came to overall attendance and awareness. We are hopeful the schedule this year is a little more favorable and we don't play as many games during the early portion of of the season as it is so cold here. As an organization, we will be putting equal effort into growing both brands, and we hope to continue to support the growth of soccer in both Syracuse and Rochester. End quote. So that's what the Nigerian posted that tweet from Andrew Hoyt. And like I said, I totally get it from Flower City Union's perspective, you know, growing the brand, keeping soccer in both cities, as opposed to Syracuse having no soccer at all. And, you know, I, it's, a, it's a bummer for Salt City. Um, that that's, has to be the case, but at least you get to see some soccer. Hopefully Syracuse Pulse can come back. I don't know what the situation is there with that ownership group specifically, if they will come back at some point. And, well, instead of through a derby, now we got garbage plates and a little more salt on that plate with, <laughs> you know, the team. And that's the other thing I kind of wonder, too. Like, how's the roster going to work, too? So we're going to have 
uh, Syracuse Pulse players and Farsi Union players on the rosters as well. I wonder how that's going to work. And remember last year when the Union were playing games at Vendetta Stadium in Batavia? Is that still an option? Are they still going to do that too this year? I don't know. So lots of questions. I don't have any of the answers for a little bit confused, but I will reach out to Mark Washoe at some point and hopefully we'll get him back on the show and he'll explain, you know, how they'll kind of maybe give us some insight, you know, behind the scenes on how this came about and how he sees Forest Union extending their brand to Syracuse and how it all plays out. So it was something we will definitely keep an eye on uh, this year for sure. Now, the other major headline, at least as a recording of this podcast on Wednesday nights, we still do not have a league schedule that has been announced for the 2023 season. Uh, of course, we've been hearing that U.S. Soccer Federation is still working on their audit on, on three of the NISA teams. And we don't know what's going on with that whole process. We've heard lots of rumors this past week uh, that Albion San Diego and Cal United Strikers won't play this year. Um, for Albion, we they're, the reason we, we keep seeing on social media and rumors is that their primary investor pulled out. And that's why Albion San Diego will probably sit out this year. Uh, there's also rumors that they're planning to join MLS Next Pro at some point, and that's probably another reason why they're sitting out to get ready for that, but that's a rumor. Now, for Cal United strikers, uh, for uh, their their situation is a bit different. We and It's surprising because Cal United, along with Chattanooga FC, they were the top two teams in ESO last year in the 2022 season. And... I know there were rumors last year that Cal United was for sale, but we never heard anything official from the club on that. I remember when I reached out to a club spokesman for that team, they didn't really answer that question. So I just thought it didn't happen, you know? And uh, they also had some issues like with the, you know, Don Eber and all that, and they let him go and all that drama there. And then, of course, the Cal United got knocked out, ironically, by Albion in the playoffs. And now both teams won't looks like they won't be back. And in Cal United's case, you know, they're playing games at Championship Stadium. Now it will be just LA Galaxy 2 and Orange County SC that will be playing in that stadium, it looks like. And it's sad, you know, especially with Cal United, they're a really decent team. And Albion, you know, they made it to the final. It's like, what happened? I thought this team was ready for pro. So I don't know. But that's been another rumor is that both of those clubs, Albion and Cal United Strikers, have been linked to potentially join MLS Next Pro in the future. I know there was also a rumor that the league could prop up Cal United, but that's definitely not going to happen. Uh, I remember I last year when Syracuse Pulse was having their issues, I asked Steve Johnson about that after what happened with Samir Belsane backing out, and I was like, is the league in a proper team like it did with Stumptown the year before? And Steve Johnson made it very clear to me, we are not propping the team. We got out of that business. We're not doing that anymore. 
So if that's the case, it looks like we will have eight teams. So as far as I know, Chattanooga FC, Club de Leon FC, Fire City Union slash Salt City Union. It's going to take me some time to get used to on that one, guys. Gold Star Detroit FC, LA Force, Maryland Bobcats FC, Michigan Stars FC, and the Savannah Clovers FC. Now, the LA Force, they will be the only West Coast team. Um, so I don't know how that's going to work with NISA. Uh, it sounds like once they get the teams all good with U.S. soccer, they'll announce schedule and all that. Hopefully by the end of this month, this is what we're hoping for. As far as the season schedule goes, as far as what format it would be, nobody knows, guys. I don't even know. But if I was doing the league schedule and it was me, okay, and this is just me, I don't got any sources or anything. This is just me kind of putting my own spin to it if I was doing the schedule if I was Nisa, okay? I would suggest to Mr. Bob Freeland in the LA Force, you better have a home stadium. We're not doing this again with like last year where LA Force is playing all over Orange County. We're not doing that again this year. So if you do not have a home stadium, by the time we kick off our season, okay, then you will be a travel team and you will play all your games on the road. That means that you have to play Chattanooga twice in the same week, for example. You have one game at Fort Finley where you're the home team. And then a few days later, you'll play Chattanooga game, but, but you're going to be the road team. So that's the what I, I feel the league has to come down on LA Force and Boffreyland on that because we, we can't have that again. We just can't have that again, guys. That looks really bad. So I feel that for the LA Force, that might be I, – I know it's not ideal for them, but what other options you have? You're going to have to go east for every road game, and that's expensive. That adds up. It's also going to be expensive for the other teams in the east. They have to cross over and go to LA. And what happens if they can't secure a stadium? You got to change it to another stadium at the last minute and this and that. The league, you don't want to deal with that. So if they don't have a stadium together, you make them the road team and they play all their matches on the road this season. That's what I would do. Now, as far as how many games, if you have eight teams, you're probably looking at at least 14 games, you know, balanced schedule. You play everybody twice. But that's probably not a lot of games that teams want. So league will probably up it to 18 games. I think if they try to do it like last year with 21, 24 games, that's way too many games. And it just drags out the season. I would also suggest the league to take a break in the summer, probably mid-June to end of July to do the Nisa Independent Cup. Just take a break during the season and play that. Because you're only going to have 14, 18 games. So if it's 14 games, each team will basically have two games a month. Don't think that's ideal. If you up it to 18, that's probably three games a month. And then each team would have have a bye week to kind of ease the travel concerns. That's kind of how I would do it. Now, the Nisa Independent Cup, I, like I suggested in my last episode, do a group stage, but have the NISA teams host it. <clears throat> I know LA Force is questionable. 
So right now with their home stadiums issues, so don't know about how that would work in that scenario. But I would do a group stage and then, you know, maybe make it a knockout tournament. Now, I don't know how it's going to work. I know travel is going to be a concern. So maybe you do a kind of regional, like, you know, NCAA tournament style. Okay, we'll have this these four cities hosts run round, semifinal will host in, in two cities, and then the final gets hosted in one place. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. But, you know, make it interesting and put some money on the line. Like, this team wins a bunch of money if they win the tournament. Can't promise the playoff spot because that has to go to the – you know, make the regular season matter, you know? So that's kind of my idea on how to do that. Um, I know last year they had nine groups with 36 teams for the NISA Independent Cup, but maybe eight NISA teams, like I said, could host stage, the group stage games for the amateur sides. And the teams also have U.S. Open Cup matches early in the season, and they can also schedule some friendlies against maybe some European teams that travel in the summer months or some South American clubs. Or maybe you play some reserve teams from other leagues and host those games. And then I would, you know, suggest that that's how you get. You have 18-game season, you know, not super packed with so many games. Kind of minimize the risk of if it's getting scheduled, you got to move your schedule around like what we had last year. You take a break, do the NISA Independent Cup, do that tournament, and then after that's done, then you get back to the regular season, finish that up, and then you have your playoffs. And then teams can schedule friendlies if they're in that summer break, you know, to kind of make some revenue, make some, you know, extra money for those games. Now, as far as the league's future goes after 2023, nobody knows right now. You know, we only have one team for sure that's been booked, expansion team that's been booked for 2024, which is Calabasas FC. But we have no new info on that club. Uh, Value United FC, uh, that investigation is still ongoing, so we don't know what it's going to happen with them. Um, as far as we know, at least their owner has been cleared for that whole situation. So there's a possibility Value United FC could be back, but that will be paying the investigation. But that won't be until 2024, maybe 2025, depending on how this investigation goes. But I would say it's doubtful that United FC comes back. But who knows? Nisa Nation, I know it's back this year, but you know, you feel like some teams that have aspirations to go pro need to kind of take their time. I know Temecula FC and SU Maricopa in their press releases that I mentioned last week, they have aspirations to go pro. They want to be a pro team one day in Nisa Pro. But I don't know how it's going to work. I think those clubs, you know, need some time. And Nisa needs to kind of put the brakes a bit. Get these teams some time to get going and then move them up. Now, I know for Nisa, that's the plan down the road that they want these teams to, that from Nisa Nation, to eventually move up to Nisa Pro. I know that's the goal for them. And we'll have to see if it comes into fruition, guys. But Nisa's got to make sure these eight teams that they got, it's stable. U.S. soccer, you know, putting their foot down, saying, hey, Nisa, look, we got to get together. Let's go now. Year five, let's go. And, uh, you know, get this thing right. And hopefully Nisa will finally get it right. But you got to take care of the refs. Pay them refs. All right. That's enough ranting for me. Let's get on to the news.
All right, everyone, let's catch you up on the latest news around NISA. And let's start with Flower City Union. Man, that team has been very busy this week. They announced another partnership, this time with a UPSL side, Soda City FC. This was announced back on January 11th, and it's to create a true amateur to a professional pathway for players. Flower City Union will also work with Soda City FC's business development team to continue the growth of their organization through guidance and connections. And they had another partnership allowance announced last month as well with a local team in Rochester. And I'm kind of wondering with Flower City Union, are, are they trying to be like Manchester City now? Are we, are we just going to have satellite clubs across the U.S.? Is that, is that what we're going with here? You know, I mean, they do have City in their name, so that's why I'm kind of making that joke. But, you know, it's uh, it's uh, the, the flower is growing, literally, uh, for Flower City Union. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that develops with now you got uh, – Smugtown, Soda City FC, and now you got Salt City Union. You know it's gonna be, it's gonna be interesting, as because I mean at least it looks like to me, Flower City Union is kind of building their own kind of pyramid with their partnership with all these different clubs. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops. All right, next we got Temecula FC. Now last week. I know it's the Nisa Nation store, but last week I told you guys that they were in the process of applying and we were waiting to see if they got approved. And they did get that approval from Nisa Nation on January 11th as they were approved to join the Southwest region for Nisa Nation in 2023 for the spring season. And as you know, the, the club was formed in 2013. They have a men's amateur team in Riverside County and are four-time Riverside County Cup champions. Now, the team was previously a member of the MPSL from 2014 to 2019, and they also participated in qualifying for the 2023 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup and has a reserve team in the Southwest Premier League. And they also have a boys youth academy. Let me read you a quote from Brandon Jantz. Quote, everyone involved with Temecula FC is very excited about being accepted into Nisa Nation. Our ambition as a club is to be fully professional, and Nisa Nation gets us one level away. This is a great opportunity to showcase our players and coaching staff on the national stage. We will all, excuse me, we will all be working around the clock to represent the Temecula Valley, well, one and off. I think they meant to say on and off the pitch. I think that's what they meant to say, but it's what the quote we got here. That is what we got from Temecula FC and Nisa Nation. So excited to see those guys make the step, the quals, and looking forward to seeing them in East Nation in spring 2023. Let's go to Detroit. Gold Star Detroit FC. They announced that Christopher Nicken as a 
community liaison for the club. They made that announcement last week. So it's cool to see Gold Star Detroit building up their front office staff as we get close to the season. You know another thing I noticed about Gold Star Detroit FC? I know they've been doing their pints with the manager, uh, Alex Lubyansky, and going around different places in the Detroit area and having conversations with people, you know, that want to learn more about the club. And I was on their Instagram, and I noticed on there that former Chicago House AC player, Keegan Thompson, was in one of the photos recently. I've also scrolled down on a few of the Instagram posts for Gold Star FC Detroit. Or is it Gold Star Detroit FC? I don't know which one it is. I'm still trying to figure that one out. But he's been liking all their posts. So it kind of made me wonder, hmm, well, I know they, that team's had tryouts. I'm pretty sure he's tried out for the team at least. So I kind of wonder, is he going to be on the team? You know, something I'm curious to see. So I can't wait till Gold Star FC Detroit starts announcing their rosters for the year inaugural season. Speaking of rosters, Chattanooga FC who have been the most busiest team in the offseason. They announced that Tate Robinson has left the club and he will be joining new USL League One expansion side Lexington Sporting Club. Another former CFC player, Frankie Martinez, he will also be joining Lexington Sporting Club over there in Kentucky. And that club's been pretty busy lately. They also announced yesterday that they have added Maryland Bobcats FC forward Khalid Balogun. He will also be joining Lexington Sporting Club. You know, it's interesting that they're bringing in some NISA players, Lexington Sporting Club. I think that's good for NISA. I really think it is. That's that's good that you, you're developing these players in the league, and now they're getting moved on to other leagues playing at, you know, you know, more teams, you know, get more notice, all that kind of stuff. And that's, and that's great. That's great to see those players move to USL or potentially MLS or it's even you guys case go to Europe. But I think that's, that's, that's good. That's good for the league in general. And Lexington Sporting Club, it looks like they're trying to copy Detroit City FC a bit when they moved to USL last year. Remember when Detroit CFC moved up, they signed a bunch of former NISA guys like Michael Bryant, Devin Amumensa, and some others to bring them up to the squad. It looks like Lexington Sporting Club is trying to do the same thing. Now, CFC did have those departures, but they did make a big signing, huge signing, as they announced that 2022 NISA Golden Glove winner Gene Antoine is joining the club. That was announced this past Sunday. And when I saw that news, I'm like, with all those rumors about Cal United in their future, I was kind of like, okay, there's if, if Cal United was playing, they're not letting Gene Antoine go. There's just no way, especially after the year he had last year. But now that we know that they're probably not coming back, that you know Gene Antoine is going to get a new challenge and go to Chattanooga. And 
I said when Chattanooga was letting go Alec Rankinson and they were letting go Kevin Gonzalez, I was kind of like, well, if they're letting those two guys go, there's gotta be they got they, there's gotta be somebody big that they can get to fit in goal. And well, they they got the best goalkeeper in the league last year, Gene Antoine. So that's a big deal. Uh, had 12 clean sheets. Only a lot of five goals last season. And I was voted to the NISA Best 11 first team. So huge get for the boys in blue. Now, the boys in blue have been the only team making moves this offseason. But now we finally have another NISA club announcing some signings. That will be down in Orlando, Florida, in the city beautiful as Club de Leon FC. They announced their first signings for their inaugural season. Uh, Kenny Ten Lopez, Christopher Clement, and Jose Lara have signed pro contracts with the club for the 2023 season. So Club De Leon, you know, making some moves. Uh, Savannah Clovers FC, I know they're working on some moves as well that we'll hope to hear some news from them hopefully soon on some more signings. Speaking of the Savannah Clovers, the Savannah Clovers, they are working on building their coaching staff. And they have recently hired Bert Lennard. He's joined the club as an assistant coach and video analyst. The Clovers have also added Brian Silvestre as a goalkeeper coach. He, he's a former professional. He played with the LA Galaxy. He played with the Vancouver Whitecaps FC. He's played with the North Carolina FC. He played with Ford Madison, and then he most recently played for the Miami FC in the USL Championship. Uh, his most recent role was uh, he was coaching. He was a women's assistant coach at the University of South Carolina, Beaufort, and was coaching the Sand Sharks for that college up there in South Carolina. So that was pretty cool that the Savannah Clovers are bringing in some veteran experience to the coaching ranks. The LA Force, they announced their preseason schedule that was posted on Instagram yesterday. And their first preseason match will be on Saturday, February 11th, against LAFC, the defending MLS Cup champions. And finally, this was announced just before we went on air, guys, and started recording this. So this was just announced right before I hopped on here. Maryland Bobcats FC midfielder Elijah Amo. There was a rumor yesterday, but now it's finally official that he has signed a contract with the South Georgia Tormenta FC, the USL League One champions. Uh, of course, he had a really good year with the Maryland Bobcats FC scored five goals, and had four assists last season with the Bobcats. So I look forward to seeing what the Bobcats, or who the Bobcats add, I should say, as we get close to the 2023 NISA season. Now on to my final thoughts. All right, guys, and for my final thoughts, I was reading 
Dan Vaughn's article this morning on the protagonist soccer, where he's talking about, you know, despite all of the bad things that we've talked about on the show today about Nisa and something we've been dealing with recently, you know, if anything, Nisa has shown that they have been developing players um, throughout the season. Um, not just last year, but in previous seasons. And I was reading it, and, you know, it's pretty interesting. Pretty interesting read. Um, if you guys haven't had a chance to read it, definitely go check it out at Protagonist Soccer. Uh, Dan Vaughn's article on the Nisa Pyramid and, you know, developing players. And I thought it was a really interesting read. And then he talked about the players moving on. I mean, we just talked about, you know, Maryland Bobcats. I know it's probably not, you know, exciting news for the Old Bay Brigade, but, you know, I'm sure, you know, bittersweet, you know, sad to see them go. Like Elijah Amo and, you know, Khalid Balogan and uh, some other players that might be leaving the club soon. But happy that they get to new opportunities. You know, they're a part of the Maryland Bobcats family. And now they're moving on to better themselves in, in their career. And I think that's that's good for the Maryland Bobcats. That they've shown that they can develop players, you know, play at a professional level, and then move on to the next thing. And I know they just got steel pulse, so we'll see how that goes. But clubs like that, you know, Maryland Bobcats, Chattanooga FC, and how great they've been with their academies, it shows that, you know, Misa has – Potential, but you know they still got you know issues they got to fix. But particularly on the role player development, you know it's been pretty awesome. Like in Dan Vaughn's piece, he he referenced that in 2020, he only had two players move to either USL or League One or the Championship at the time, and in 2021 they had 13 players move to a higher division, and then last year they had 34 players. 34 players moved, and. This offseason, you know, it's been very quiet for Nisa. We have seen some players from Chattanooga, Maryland Bobcats, move on to, you know, USL league clubs. And I just think that's that's awesome. I think that's that's great for the league. And hopefully they can continue to, to build on that success with their players because it's given them opportunity for other people to watch, other scouts to watch them and, you know, see where these players can end up and, it's a third division level, you know, I'm making a lot of money doing all these things, but, you know, doing what you can, it's a grind, get out there, and then, you know, you move on to that next opportunity, and if you get it, you take it and, and go for it. Uh, another thing I want to mention is, you know, Evan Remus, the former vice president of the Maryland Bobcats, uh, he tweeted about Dan Vaughn's article, too, from Attacking Soccer, and one thing he also chimed in on was how the league not just gave opportunity for players, but it also gave opportunities for people who work in non-playing roles, such as in the front office, uh, people in the media that cover the team. Like I did as being a broadcasting content manager for Chicago House, a former NISA club, and coaching staff, giving them chances to develop their game at the Nisa level, and then eventually moving on, like we saw with Ziggy Koratowski, the work he did with Albion San Diego, and now he's with the Chattanooga Red Wolves now. So I thought that was a great point by Evan Remus, you know, pointing that out, and 
how it's given chances to move, have people move to different clubs and leagues after their time in NISA. And uh, he even mentioned some staff members that he worked with during his time with the Maryland Bobcats FC and kind of played a role in helping them move up. Um, I remember last year, one person that was with the Maryland Bobcats FC organization was Edwin Pintor, which I'm sure you guys up in Maryland know about. Uh, he was an intern doing some stuff for the Maryland Bobcats FC, I believe on the content side as an intern. And then uh, he got a job last year to work with Tormenta FC for USL League One. And boy, did he pick a good time to go because they won the USL League One title last year. So that must have been a good experience covering that and working for that team and, you know, being the public relations uh, representative for that club. So I'm sure that's an awesome experience. And I can somewhat relate, you know, me being a broadcast content manager with Chicago House, even though our time in East was very brief, it was still, you know, six months, but it was a, you know, a good experience for me. Uh, I was in a tough situation down in Florida at the time, you know, get let go from Disney due to the, you know, pandemic and the uncertainty. So they had to lay off a lot of their staff, including myself. And I only had six months to figure out what was next for me. And I was trying to figure out the next best opportunity and, you know, break into sports. I had worked as an unpaid intern for previous soccer teams, indoor soccer team and uh, Inter Orlando Academy, who was a UPSL team at the time. And, you know, grinding, you know, working for free, creating content, doing whatever I could to just kind of get my, my, my brand and my stuff out there. And I did that interview with Peter Welt when I was in college uh, for Nice Today FC. And it was just an interview. I was not expecting it to potentially lead to a, a job opportunity, but I knew they were eventually going to be looking for people. So I kind of kept in touch with them. And, but I also applied for jobs with, you know, Miami FC. Yes, I'm sorry, Chattanooga fans. I have to admit this, but I did apply for a job with the Red Bulls at one point. Okay. Please forgive me. But they didn't pick me. So we're all good. <laughs> and then I did also apply for a job of racing Louisville. And look, you got to get start somewhere, guys. Uh, for me, it was soccer. I didn't care. It was women's soccer, men's soccer, youth soccer, whatever it was. As long as I got an opportunity, you just got to keep pushing for it. And I'm very thankful that Peter Wilton, Night Train Vec, you know, gave me an opportunity to lead their broadcast operations and content coverage for a new soccer team at the time with Chicago House Athletic Club. And I learned a lot. And, uh, you know, putting the rundown for our broadcast here, you know, working on graphics with, with my coworker Tito and working with Walter, who was our director of communications on the content schedule and stuff to post and engaging with our fans and stuff they want to see. Do community engagement stuff. Do the community engagement pieces that Chicago House, you know, focused on, on social, you know, injustice issues and, you know, things affecting their community and, you know, the crime in Pilsen neighborhood and, and things of that nature that, you know, was part of Chicago House's, you know, core values. And that was a great experience for me. And even though I'm not with a soccer team right now, I'm, you know, things happen for a reason. And, you know, it led me to an opportunity with the Cubs and I'm doing some stuff for them. And that's pretty cool. And I'm doing some stuff for Neighborhood Community Television, doing, uh, highlight footages for a lot of the high school games that I get to go cover in the area. But I would 
hope, you know, maybe get an opportunity, you know, work for another soccer team or maybe NFL or, you know, basketball, whatever it is, and do some content stuff. Because that's my real passion there, guys. All the stuff that needs to the AFC, I'm doing it for, you know, love of the game. But also, you know, support me and guys, you know, encourage me to keep them going. And, you know, I I saw this tweet from Dan Vaughn, and I retweeted on my own personal page. And, you know, he talked about, you know, I was reading right here. If you're a content creator, I just want to encourage you. Keep writing. Keep pushing. Don't give up. Make this year your year. And, uh, you know, that he's here to help, you know, push you, you know, and keep you going. And you need people like that just uh, to, to keep you going and stuff like that. So it's what keeps me going. I know I'm working all these part-time jobs and stuff is it's, it's crazy. Eventually, I'll get full-time somewhere. I don't know where it's going to be. But no matter what happens, guys, you have my word. I'm going to give it everything I got. All right, everyone. Well, that will conclude today's episode of Nisa Today FC. If you have any suggestions, feedback, or comments, you can reach out to me on my personal Twitter page. It's at JT underscore Taylor 88. And you want to keep up with all the latest updates on our show. You can follow us on our social media pages. We're on Facebook at Nisa Today FC. We're also on Instagram at Nisa underscore Today FC. And we're also on Twitter at Nisa underscore Today FC. You guys enjoy the rest of your week. And I will see you next time. Bye for now.